0: Welcome to CropSense, presented by North Carolina Cooperative Extension. I'm Jacob Morgan, a field crops agent with North Carolina Cooperative Extension. Today, we have Dr. Chris Reberg-Horton to talk about using cover crops. Good morning, Dr. Reberg-Horton. How are you doing today?
1: Good morning, Jacob. Pleasure to be here. Can you start off
0: by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I'm somewhat of a rarity in academic circles. I am a native North Carolinian. But like a lot of academics, I've, I've bounced around the country, uh, but got to come back home 18 years ago now and, uh, and start working. I uh, got my Ph.D. here at NC State and just couldn't be more pleased about being back home.
0: Awesome. So I guess, can you begin by giving kind of an overview of what the benefits of, of using cover crops are?
1: Well, Jacob, it, there's so much in the popular press right now about cover crops that I like to start with a reminder of, of a core benefit that really where we got started with this, and that is soil conservation. We're really trying to keep active root systems out there through as much of the year as we can to stabilize the soil. and And I still lead with that as a primary goal in a lot of places. It's not everywhere. We, you know, we have some very flat lands here in North Carolina where soil civilization might not be as big of an issue or water erosion isn't. But um, still, it's, it's a big one nationwide. We also see a lot of interest rise with the price of nitrogen for the farmers. Uh, savings in nitrogen costs can be a key motivator, depending on the price of nitrogen at that moment in time. And, and that's certainly something here in North Carolina that we can benefit from a lot. Um, one of the things i like to point out is, you know, the Midwestern folks, we're, you've seen a lot of rise in cover cropping out there. But if you want to talk about the financial returns on cover cropping, we can do a lot here in the southeast because we can grow a lot of legumes. And so we can supplant a lot of our nitrogen demands with that. Environmentally, there's also the prevention of nitrogen leaching. That effect can vary depending on where you're at, but certainly um, uh, guarding our groundwater is a benefit that is applicable in a lot of soils in a lot of parts of our state.
0: So can you start off with kind of talking about one thing you didn't mention is weed control. Is that something that we can expect a lot of effect with cover crops?
1: That's a good one, Jacob. It's certainly on the mind of our growers right now, particularly with the Palmer amaranth issues we're having. It's certainly an effect there. There's no question. And we're stuck with not a lot of great options on the Palmer amaranth. We either go in with a lot more expensive herbicide program, We've seen some growers go back to cultivating which is of course a lot of labor and so in that context does having a lot of biomass out there from a cover crop residue help you it does and in terms of return on investment I think it's pretty good when we look at those other options the return on investment is it a cure-all will I take make sure that every palmer amaranth is gone on my field because I have a big cover crop residue no but we do have a, a we have a partial impact that is economically significant for sure
0: Now is that control based on biomass? Basically, smothering out the weeds, or are there some other benefits? The
1: the big one I would say is that physical, right? It's just, and we can see too, then all the studies that have been done here by other folks besides myself in North Carolina, a bunch of folks have looked at this. When we start getting these really large biomasses, and I'm talking about like 8,000 pounds of dry matter, we can really have a tremendous suppression effect there. The majority of that is probably just physical obstruction of the plant growing, shading, cooling the temperatures, all of that. There's certainly a lot of research on allelopathic effects, and we, we have, um, which allelopathy is, is where there's chemicals coming out of the residue that are helping to suppress the weeds. It's certainly been very well demonstrated in isolated cases. An overall measurement of how much allelopathy versus how much physical sort of really hints that the physical is the most important part, but that there are sometimes allelopathic effects that are measurable
0: so if we're looking for weed control biomass production is is what we need to focus on Uh, that's right gotcha you talked about soil conservation some there can you talk about kind of how the process works as far as having a cover crop and how that actually helps conserve our soils
1: if we think about the time between harvest and planting there and if we do not have a lot of surface residue out there then you know over the winter we get a lot more rain than we get evaporation And we're going to be prone to wash on some soils. You know, we get out east where where it gets really flat and water erosion doesn't become a problem. We still have regions where wind erosion can become a problem. And so trying to stabilize that soil is is really the goal.
0: You mentioned uh, nitrogen uh, savings using cover crops. Can you talk a little bit kind of what that range would be as far as fertility and how much nitrogen we can get from a cover crop?
1: Here in North Carolina, I'll rely here on some great work that county agents did, a great publication that came out of the soil science department here. And it summarized the um, you know almost 15 years of on-farm trials conducted by county extension. And it's really a lot of nitrogen that can be pretty regularly attained if we obey some simple rules. So we could generally, by the time of planting corn, get about 100 pounds of nitrogen across much of North Carolina. And again, like anything in agriculture, some years you're never going to get that, and some years you're going to get a lot more than that. To attain that, though, we do have to plant, in and in, in that can be a real constriction. We want to put our legumes in, and for most of the state in general, in October to be able to hit those values. So where your cropping system doesn't allow that, we have to scale back our expectations quite a bit course this year we've had the warmest on record i think they said in history for temperatures between january and april well even a late planting likely produced a whole lot of biomass this year because of that so it really vary what about
0: other nutrients are we getting any kind of either nutrient cycling some of these other nutrients or maybe availability differences with with some of the phosphorus potassium sulfur maybe some of the micronutrients
1: Certainly the one which is the best evidence is we can get some good effect on potassium there, particularly in our sandy soils. Potassium can be pretty highly leachable, not quite as leachable as nitrogen, but close. And so recycling of that potassium can be a nice benefit. Now, there has been a tendency sometimes I've noticed in the press articles where they say, well, this cover crop had this much phosphorus and had this much potassium and had this much everything. And so they want to credit for the phosphorus as well. But that doesn't appear to be very helpful. And so I would not give us a credit for the phosphorus here because, yes, that cover crop took up the phosphorus. But if the cover crop hadn't been there, which is really the comparison, that phosphorus would have just hung out and been uptaken by our cash crops. There wasn't any real benefit from that cycling of it there. But yes, for I would say potassium, nitrogen, that's the ones I would hang my hat on. Everything else I wouldn't give a lot of credit for.
0: Gotcha. Can you talk about availability of those nutrients throughout the season?
1: Well, that's a question very near and dear to my heart. There. It's a complex phenomenon. And so we like to say, you know, if you read the extension bulletins about a, like nitrogen release from cover crops, we have a lot of, and I've been guilty of this myself, telling farmers, hey, you got to think about this and you need to think about this. And it's going to matter on the rain, it's going to matter on your soil type. Well, what's a grower supposed to do with that? I mean, think about it. Okay, I thought about it. Now, what do I do? And so I think this is one of those areas where it's complex enough that we really need software, decision support tools that guide growers through this, models that help them predict. So that's something that my team has been working on in collaboration with the uh, USDA ARS service for several years now. We have a tool that's on the web. It's called uh, Cover Crop Nitrogen Calculator. And what it does is it, it looks at the weather, So a grower can stand in the field and say, "Okay, I grew this much biomass of this species and we pulled the weather data for the lat long in that field. We pull the soil type information and we run a model and we say, "Okay, based on what's happened, you're let's say I terminated this cover crop in February and you're out there at planting. Say, well, you're planting now. This is how much of nitrogen has already been released. If you're doing a side dress application, you say, okay, how much has been released now, what do I adjust my side dress for? So that's what we've been working on. And we have validated that now across a good bit of the country. And it seems to be working very well. And farmers have been happy with it. There's a, there's a caveat though, here is that we are seeing now that a lot of growers are planting these cover crop mixtures. So we're, you know, we're no longer dealing with just this monoculture and That is complicated because if you ever walk across a mixed field, by golly, almost every one of those fields, you'll see, oh, this little patch of the of the field is all grass. Then I get to the next patch. Now it's all legume. Now I get to the next patch. Maybe it was all my brassica that was in there. And it's like, well, the nitrogen recommendation for this little bit of land is really different from that one. And we haven't had any capacity for dealing with that complexity. And so what ends up happening is we're probably over fertilizing the legume rich areas. We might be under fertilizing the grass rich areas, or maybe we're, you know, dialing up our nitrogen in response to wash out that grass effect and then really over fertilizing a good bit of the field. So how do we get around that? Our lab has been working on technology now, a smart camera system to where we can actually map that cover crop performance. And that we can now run the model instead of running it for the whole field. We run it pixel by pixel to inform variable rate application.
0: So like some very high tech stuff. And I think historically farmers have been thought of as a piece of wheat straw in their mouth. The overall sitting at the country store. And in fact, even before we talk about this technology you're describing, the tractors that people have today, the technology that's on there, the auto steer is just really mind blowing. And so with that, you talked about cover crop mixtures what would be your recommendation as far as a mix? If you look on YouTube and go to that rabbit hole, some folks are saying just straight cereal rye. And some people are advocating 437 different uh, plant species in a cover yeah. crop mixture. So kind of where would you uh, point someone who's kind of wanting to get started this cover crop?
1: You know, it really does depend on your goals. Um, and we've talked about some of those goals here. If somebody is really after... For instance, weed control, they're just struggling with Palmer amaranth. They're like, I don't care about the nitrogen thing, or I'm doing soybeans. I definitely don't care about the nitrogen thing. I'm trying to control my Palmer amaranth. Well, that's a good reason just to plant the cereal rye. I think if you just want to go after biomass, or you're going after weed suppression, just stick to a monoculture. So there's absolutely plenty of times when a straight monoculture is the right answer. But if you have other goals and say that, well, I would like some weed suppression, I would also like to cut my nitrogen bill. So I'm doing some corn here. Okay, well, then that might be a good reason to put both, but the, the rye in there and some other legume in there. you know, the, that'll help elevate, the rye will help elevate my weed control and that legume will help elevate my nitrogen release there. I also might make a better slow-release fertilizer out of it. We have seen that depending on when you kill that cover crop, the cover crop residues can break down pretty quickly. They can break down too faster than my crop demand. And so when I mix, I'm able to slow that overall release because the grass is sort of absorbing some nitrogen during during the immobilization time. And so that can make a, a natural slow release fertilizer, if you will. So I really think it depends on the goals. And, and again, that's another complexity for which we need software. So we have 12 extension agents this summer that are conducting tests with growers of a cover crop species selector tool. And in that, we really ask the growers, you know, rank your goals for doing this cover cropping. And then we, again, look up their soil type and we look up at the planting windows and we help make guide them through decisions about what type of monoculture or mixture that they should be thinking about.
0: So you've said a few different times about a biomass. How would you go about telling a grower to kind of determine what kind of biomass is out there? If they're looking at a field, if you do it for many years, I'm sure you kind of get an eye for like anything. But someone who's just beginning, how would you go about figuring out how much biomass is out there?
1: Yeah, this is a really sticky point, Jacob, because everybody hates to get out there with like a pair of scissors and try to take a cutting, right? And So how can we avoid taking a cutting? (laughs) It's really the question. It is one of the driving reasons we developed the camera system is that we wanted to get away from him to cut. That said, there's nothing that beats a few cuttings, and I find that growers who have been in the cover crop business for a while will m- might have taken some cuttings those first few years, and then they start to get that eyeball, like you say. Like, oh, that looks about like this amount of dry matter, and they start to get a feel, and they'll oftentimes cease taking any cuttings for that. So I, I think those are the two approaches we are going to have to do this with technology or by training folks to get this collective assessment of it. I will say the thing that's very counterintuitive for things like rye is that we tend to equate height with biomass. And that would be very true on something that we fertilize well, but not always so true in something we don't fertilize. You can find a six-foot stand of rye that had very little nitrogen and you know it didn't tiller much and it's a thin stand you can see the ground everywhere you just not got that much biomass and then another six foot lush one and you you know you could be looking at three or four times the biomass at the same height and so that relationship breaks down a little bit but again growers get used to walking those fields and sensing those distinctions
0: so one more question as far as the planting goes if you're going to recommend somebody planting cover crops the earlier the better is that kind of as soon as you can get in that field behind the summer crop and, and get it planted, or it, can you plant it too early, I guess is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, that's a harder one. There there are some species for which we can plant a little too early. Peas is one of those. If you just go buy any pea from the, the local feed store, you know most of them are going to do tolerably well here over the winter. But if we plant some of those varieties a little too early, like in September and get a lot, a lot of nice, lush growth, and then that first hard freeze comes through, we can really set them back. I've even seen a couple occasions where they, they completely died. Now, we have found that with good varietal selection, that goes away. And so planting up into September becomes very possible. But it is a little bit possible to plant too early. So we also, I will say, we'll mention one, is that we have farmers sometimes doing this, By aerial, they'll come in and they'll overseed either by plane or drive on. The last bit, we're letting like the soybean leaves cover the seed and doing that. And there's one risk of planting there a little too early that every once in a while we get delayed on on harvesting and then we start to get green cover crop area up in when we're trying to combine our beans that's not good. So (laughs) it's been rare that we've had reports of that happening, but boy, about four or five years ago, we had quite a few pockets around the state of that happening. And then people got very skittish about that. Yeah, that will definitely create a a problem at the elevator. Uh, Is there there anything else
0: you think we need to discuss that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Well, I will say too, you know, uh, we're seeing a lot of interest in cover crops for carbon. So there's both federal programs and voluntary carbon markets. We have quite a few growers in the state around, and that is growers are basically getting paid to sequester carbon in their soils. The science of that in North Carolina is very hard to build a lot of carbon in our soils, right? It's hot. It's pretty wet here. Our soils are pretty well aerated for much of the state. It is tough to build carbon there. So... There may be a more interesting story there for nitrogen oxide. We have some folks at NC State who've got a very good handle on that. I would point out the soil science department's got a great team working on those issues and looking at nitrous oxide emissions. But the carbon story, I think, is a little harder to tell here. But a nitrous oxide is a greenhouse gas as well. And so that I think that's where we need to be paying more attention. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today. Well, thank you so much. I've been a big fan of the podcast for a long time and it's just a pleasure to be here
0: well, well I'm, thank you for the kind words and if anybody out there likes the podcast please tell their friends and leave a five-star review uh if you have any questions about cover crops feel free to reach out to your local cooperative extension agent they'll be happy to help you come out and help make some of these decisions and as always thanks for listening to crop sense because if it isn't making money it isn't making sense